Welcome to Plato's Gravity. This is Aaron. And I Googled uh, hot Mrs. Doubtfire earlier today. Not, not. I didn't want to see pictures of the scene of Mrs. Doubtfire where she like burned her boobs. Woohoo! That's not, that that's not what I was looking for. Is that the Julia Child? I, well, I was trying to... Well, that was fine. Hello, wait, hold Hello. on. Hello! Yeah, okay, uh, what's your name? You haven't... Well, so the thing is, this like, it's, an un, is it's an unfruitful search if you Google hot Mrs. Doubtfire. It's mostly dudes dressed as... Robin Williams as I, I a woman. Expect, I would expect there would be no results except for Robin Williams in tropical locations. Hot that's Mrs. Not, that's not what... I'm Jason. Thank you, Jason. Uh, this is Aaron. We are excited to welcome Exit 12 Brewery. We're here with Nick and Brandon. Uh, Exit 12 Brewery is the not the new brewery on Exit 12 in Massachusetts. In fact, they are a home brewery. Uh, uh, that say that they call themselves Exit Twelve Brewery, uh, but they have badass labels, uh, some good looking beer, and some nice stories to tell. So, uh, Nick and Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having us. Yeah, excellent. So, we start every episode uh, drinking a beer together. Uh, so today we're going to do something we've never done on the show before, where you guys are drinking a slightly different beer that we have. So, Founders Brewing makes Kentucky Breakfast Stout, and they make Canadian Breakfast Stout. We are drinking CBS. You guys are drinking KBS, and then we're going to talk about the differences a little bit. Uh, I mean, we're not really because like I can't taste what you're tasting. So it's, I mean, I get, I don't know. You could tell me, and I could be like, this is entirely the opposite, but maybe it's the same. Jason, we're we're just going to do it, all right? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah, so welcome to Breakfast Stout with Exit Twelve Brewery. So why'd you guys choose to go with some Founder Stouts for us today? Uh, so basically, it's winter here in New England. It's uh, cold. It's actually snowing right now. It's um, oh, like right this second. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. The New England winter, you know, would be so. We figure something roasty, something toasty, something chocolatey, something high ABV to keep us warm while we're talking uh, home brewing. And uh, so it, this is right down our alley. He doesn't pay his electric bills, so it's kind of cold in here. So, <laughs> well, I thought it was just so you could keep the ales around sixty degrees, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what he tells me, but I, I, I don't believe him. <laughs> Do you guys logger outside in the winter up there? So it's funny you say that because uh, we've actually we've never brewed a lager. Oh, it, all right. The thing was was having not having a mechanism for the the lagering, you know, to cool the beer, but. Yeah. We cold crash, and I just throw it down in my basement. And so you could probably use that same kind of thinking, that same game plan with lager. Especially with some of those new hybrid yeasts that are a little more tolerant to temperature variation or warmer temperatures. Sure, sure, yeah. We can get off our asses and make a fermentation chamber. I mean, to be fair, we could make a fermentation chamber. But the other thing is, you know, this is New England. We love New England IPAs, and that's really kind of our wheelhouse. You know, we've got some great breweries that that microbreweries that do them. Mm -hmm. So. uh, you know the lager thing is kind of you know not probably not not our favorite you know style. Yeah, hazy lagers just haven't caught on yet. I think <laughs> I actually uh, uh, to make a bundle. That's your that's your entry point into this market. You can uh, go with the hazy lager. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. So uh, what's uh so this so the the CBS uh, the Canadian breakfast stout is aged in maple bourbon barrels. Yeah, and it is. It, it, it just, tastes just like really free healthcare, and uh, <laughs> it tastes like having an, an attractive, a very attractive president that somehow I'm attracted to. I don't know how. Um, all of this before breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> all of it before breakfast. It tastes like the cold. It ta- Well, it tastes actually, honestly, okay, let's be honest. It tastes like what you want if you are cold. It's yeah. just the right amount of sweet. It could be hotter. Like there could be more alcohol. And I still don't think yeah, you would a, taste it's it. It's eleven point eight. Yeah, it's funny you say that. We felt, I feel the same way about the KBS. I, I took a sip, and, and the barrel on it is uh, really subdued. Um, I think it definitely doesn't taste like eleven point two or eleven point eight percent. But you know, and to be honest, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of like liquor. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really in, into beer. Uh, so yeah, I, it's it's doesn't really taste like bourbon. It's got that nice barrel, that nice wood, you know, hit. But it, this is actually really, really nice, perfect for this weather. Yeah, it's got a nice chocolate back end, which mm-hmm. which, which I appreciate. Yeah, uh, and I I think the 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 barrel in the in the CBS is is a little subdued with the maple sweetness. So you get you get like some roastiness, but it's also sweet. It honestly, it tastes nothing like bacon, but it reminds me of bacon with the balance. Like if you get a good candied bacon, that's what it reminds me of, like a balance of like sweet and roasty at the same time. 
So I know that, you know, there's a brewery in Florida that I really liked until uh, Big Beer bought them out. And their name's Funky Buddha. And uh, they did a beer called the Maple Bacon Coffee Porter, which at the time, probably a year and a half, two years ago, was like my go-to, especially, you know, during this weather. Mm. And uh, the way they got the bacon was they just added kind of liquid smoke. Right, so it was just nice. a idea of bacon. You know, it wasn't as if, you know, I'm sure, you know, people maybe thought that they were adding real bacon, but they weren't. It's just the idea of the the bacon, the smoke from like bacon, you know what I mean? So I think a lot of people, and, and they nailed it. I would, you know, it was, it was one of my favorite beers of that style. Yeah, so I appreciate anybody that can, uh, you know, that can make a good maple beer because it, it is tough to work with. Um, well, and it's really hard to like get a maple beer that doesn't taste artificial because that well, flavor well, can just, the actual like maple part that's not just the sweetness can be really overwhelming. Yeah, and, and a lot of our beers were like that. We don't like that artificial when we feel like it's artificial, it definitely takes away from the beer. So we try so many things to get that real, you know, if we're doing, you know, pumpkin spice, real pumpkin spice or real apple or real whatever it is. And, and you know, not taking those extract roots, you know, mm. to, get the, to get the flavor in there. So if you talk about like trying to get some crazy flavors into beer, what's the, what's the craziest shit you guys have done? Oh, boy. The craziest thing that we've done. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how crazy. So we basically did a Thanksgiving ale. I just think off the top of my head about two two years ago. And we just added like, you know, any Thanksgiving spice you could think of that you put on a turkey. Okay. In secondary. And the beer actually, I mean, it came out a little savory. But like, I mean, a little savory. Like, like, like <laughs> herbs, like rosemary and thyme and rosemary, stuff like that? Thyme, uh, nutmeg. Um, yeah. I mean, it was anything, any spice you put on a turkey. Uh, we put in the beer. What's the, is actually, this a light? What's the what's the base of that beer? So it was a brown ale. Okay, okay. all right. So there, there's actually. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just said it came out. It came out okay. It was drinkable. There's yeah. actually like a style of beer. I think I think it's Norwegian, but I had it on a layover in Iceland of all places. That is just like a a sort of plain lager that is um, that has herbs added to it. I'm not sure at what point. I'm assuming during um, post-fermentation. So I think that's a legitimate style of beer that you don't see ever in the U.S. Um, sure. So maybe you just rediscovered an old classic. We haven't we haven't done it since. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it was just drinkable, Jason. Was it just drinkable? Well, okay. So I had one of those beers when I was in Iceland, and it was fine. And that's the that's as much as I would say about it. it was. Oh, this exists and is in my body now. So a lot of times we judge we judge beers based on how often our friends and family uh, not say they like it because we both know they lie to us and they say they love everything we do, uh, but how by how often they reach for a second or a third. So um, I presume you guys you guys brew uh, you guys said a couple times a month or more. Uh, what's the what's the beer you guys keep rebrewing because people keep drinking it. So I think we're getting good with uh, you know our New England IPAs are pretty good. Uh, honestly, what we really brew a lot of is uh, just um, smash beers to because okay. we play a lot with you know different grains and different hops. Yeah. So at least one of the beers a month we'll probably do a smash to be like it's probably a more effective way to you know find these flavors. But we just brew the beer; it helps us with our process, and then we sort of be like, all right, we like this, and then we we'll put it in some of our other beers. Um, our cherrywood porter people seem to like but sure. like you said you, don't, you know some people will, will tell you one thing and if if we like the beer and we know it's not you know shit then i'm i'm hoping that at least they'll they'll be decent enough but i feel like most of our beers people will at least smell food, right so yeah, when you we're, got we're, we're kind of we're kind of turning a corner probably the past five to ten beers mm. which is recent right? right you know especially if we're going two to three times a month we've really turned a corner where i feel like our beers are good enough that you know people will keep coming back and drinking them so i think you know we did a cranberry pale ale recently for thanksgiving our second year in a row doing it we cut down the cranberry by half we got them from a local uh farm instead of getting them like from the supermarket and we added them in secondary instead of primary and we right. saw a really really big increase and not only that we saw a big increase in, in how much people liked it, as well as the style itself. It's a cranberry pale ale, but last year with five pounds of cranberries, the thing drank like a sour. So right. 
you cut down the cranberry, like I said, and now it kind of it, it drinks as it warms. You still get the tartness off the top when it's you know really cold, but as it warms, you get some really nice hop character. You get some really nice crispness from the malt that we use, and uh, it really finishes the palate nice. So we, we really came around on that. Nice. We also did, we also did a pumpkin spice sweet style about the same time, and it was the same thing last year. We used Dunkin' Donuts ground coffee. We threw it right in the boil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fine, but uh, this year we you know went. Uh, cold brew coffee in the bottling bucket uh we really did a lot more research on it and it's just a it's just a better product it's, it's a better tasting beer right but, yeah. so when you guys do these smash beers you guys do a lot of uh new england style ipas are you are you new england styling the smash beers or are you just brewing like a, a simple <laughs> hazy uh, smash beers you can do it well we do. you you can out of the process the same way we'll dry hop them a lot, uh, very similar you know we'll we'll dry hop during high craze and a lot of times so we do some of that process you know it does sound funny but we will actually try to do some of those styles or okay. you know and some of them we will say we want to go more you know we want more bitterness in this beer we want to go more traditional and we want to clear it up so we will you know put um irish moss in there and cold crash it and, and other things to clear up the beer so it just depends on um honestly a lot of that times it depends on what we're planning to brew in the next two to three beers um of how the style we do that smash yeah it's fascinating a lot of people will tell you that, you know, dry hopping at high crossing is going to create the haziness and things like that. It, it aids with the flaked oats and the flaked wheat. But we found the past two beers we've done that are smash beers. I've dry hopped, you know, two days into fermentation, two, three days in. And we've added, you know, a teaspoon or two of Irish moss and then cold crash. And, you know, we did one recently. It's the third one we did with Sabro. And that thing came out as clear as a lot. So, right. I mean, you know, it's it's. But when we the first two smash beers we did, you know, you laughed, but yeah, they were they they were hazy. They did look a little bit more like the New England IPA style. Sure. So, so one of the questions I have about about brewing because we we haven't brewed New England style IPAs uh, around here. One, um, it it just it's not as thing as is common here. It's hard to get them to drink uh, fresh and, and stuff like that. But the other thing is technically they're a little more difficult. Uh, and one of the reasons they're more difficult is because when you dry hop as frequently and as much as you do for that style, the risk for oxygen exposure is much higher, especially at a homebrew scale. So how, how do you guys manage that? So we definitely had some issues with oxidation with our first couple. Um, yeah, it's, you know, when uh, post-fermentation, you just got to be as careful as possible. Uh, you know, we even talked about maybe even doing a full close transfer. But really, we just try to risk uh, keep the risk of oxygen as, as much as possible while we're kegging. Um, I know some people even um, ferment in the keg, uh, you know, in the kegs. So we we haven't had issues lately, and I feel it's just we we don't we try to keep everything is uh, crisp. Uh, uh, crisp, crisp. Yeah, we definitely try to keep things crisp depending on the yeah. style. Right. <laughs> so basically, it's hard to avoid oxygen. You know, uh, if, unless you're close transferring, which right. is something we do. I generally so, don't because I need it to live. Damn it, Jason. I just, <laughs> you know, it's important. The, it's very important to live. Yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, it's Unless not. you're yeast, in which case you can do some cool things without it. Uh, that's fair. Very fair. Uh, so, yeah, we, we basically, um, you know, I, I think in terms of the oxygen, you just kind of take it as it comes. And what we do is... Uh, we found that the oxidation issues we were getting was from not, for example, purging the keg when you keg. Right. Or not purging it enough or whatever the case may be. Uh, so we actually, it's funny, we, we just kegged a smash tonight and we got, you know, it's it's our yield was the best it's been. So the beer, the, the, the volume comes right up and it goes over the post of the gas. Nice. So basically, while we're purging, you can hear it bubbling. So we're hoping that the bubbling from from kind of inserting the, the CO2 in the keg and purging it. We, we hope the bubbling doesn't create oxygen and, and create oxidation. Yeah, so right. that'll be, you know, kind of an experiment yeah. that we'll find out in a couple of weeks. Well, so, and I, I, one of the things I do to kind of help with that is I hit the, uh, I have a, an extra valve on my regulator with a, just an empty hose and I hit the, the keg with CO2 before I go in. And then yeah. the CO2 will fall. So then you go in, if you go into the bottom, then just as the beer fills up, it pushes the oxygen out of the top and you just have CO2 left. But, um, so do you guys, like if you, when you guys are dry hopping, when you open your fermenter to throw in the dry hops, are you, are you, are you popping CO2 in there as well or? No, no. So for example, you know, when we, we have like the catalyst, um, bad ass. Yeah. Yeah. So I like it 
Um, I think the, um, you know, the, the rubber um, gasket, good gasket, thank you. The rubber gasket oh, comes off easily, which can kind of screw you in terms of if you're dry hopping. So right. like I'll, I'll pop the bung out on the top and I'll put the hops in that way. Okay. Uh, we, all, we also have a brew bucket. Uh, we bought them all at the same time. I personally like the brew, uh, brew bucket better. From SS, as, S Brewtech? Yeah, yeah, SS yeah. Brewtech. Uh, is this different than like my like? Uh, uh, it, it is different than my that, brew pail. Yeah, hold on. My um, five gallon bucket. For the listeners at home, you should you should Google SS Brewtech brew bucket if you don't know what it is. I'm going to show it to Jason. No, 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 no. You're not going to Google it. You're going to check the show notes. You're nah, going to check the shows. You can. Aaron's going to put it in the shows. <laughs> and also, uh, let's talk about um, random beers, uh, hams. What we're gonna talk about hams? So actually, uh, Jason, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hijack your question. So because I was about to what so, question? Oh, the about well, the bucket. Yeah, I'm not gonna ask about the dirty thirties. Uh, so you guys have been brewing for like three uh, three years, a little less for you, uh, uh, Brandon. Yeah. Uh, so can you talk about like oh Jesus, what your craft beer experience is before? Like like what's your entry point into beer? Like what beer got you hooked on beer? What beer got you into craft? Just talk about your story a little bit. So um. It's a funny story. Uh, me and him sort of, uh, you know, we're, we're good friends. I, I, I married his cousin. Um, mm. we're, best, we're best friends, but, yeah, we're good friends. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> not putting labels on things, but... Um, um, actually, I need to put that in the shows. Can you clarify this for me? So you, uh, Nick, is Brandon's best friend, but Brandon is just a good friend of Nick. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have that in the shows. If anybody disputes it, it's fine. Go, right, go ahead. Um, so we, you know, we'd have these tastings and we'd go to bottle shops or liquor stores and sort of pick up whatever and mm. sort of things, you know, um, that we would find on the shelf. You know, I think we both were drawn to stone just because we thought the labels were all badass. They are. Badass. Yeah. Yeah. Badass. yeah. So, um, for his birthday, we really wanted to try Heady Topper okay. because here it's sort of like the gateway into, uh, you know, some of these you know, uh, Northern style beers. Mm-hmm. So he has a friend that lives in Vermont who just opened up a brewery recently that, uh, you know, we went over there for a weekend and, you know, that weekend really jumpstarted our craft beer obsession. Uh, we went to Hill Farmstead, uh, Prohibition Pig. Uh, you know, we got some Heady Topper. We tried some stuff. Lawson's things of that nature and when we got back we really started you know looking for local breweries and that's right around the time Trillium and Treehouse sort of took off so that helped us and we did the uh you know the rare beer scene uh he's into trading I hate going to UPS so I just drink his beers (laughs) and that sort of uh for a year or two was awesome and then but at that point, we were so I was sort of getting bored with it. I think mm. he was. Brewing. The next step was really brewing our own. He started brewing, um, and and he we started talking about it more. And and sort of when I got on board, that's when we sort of li- literally jump start this thing and like every day reviewing stuff and really starting to learn how to homebrew. So so, so no Coors Light in your past? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's it's. I'm gonna be honest, and it's the most beer douchey thing of all time. You're gonna I, be a beer douche on my show. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you probably get none of them, but um, <laughs> I think I'm sitting right here. <laughs> I will always be a beer douche. Go ahead. I think basically, it, it's to be honest, it's tough for me to drink a Bud Light now, just because of one, all the amazing breweries we have in the area, and right. two, we're really starting, in my opinion, to brew some really good beer. So. You know, yeah, sure. You know, when I was younger, uh, college years, you know, uh, I think definitely my go-to was Miller High Life. Nice, nice. Living the high life. Uh, me too. King Cobra in the 40. Oh. oh. In the 40. So I didn't realize you were. Hold on. You cut out. After King Cobra, what was the other 40 that you preferred? Old English. Old English oh. in the 40. Oh. Yeah. Did you guys ever play the drinking game where you had two 40s like, like, like Edward duct tape 40 hands? Edward 40 hands? Edward 40 hands. I, uh. I, a buddy of mine challenged me, one of my best friends, and I came within. This is embarrassing. I came within two or three sips of finishing, and I couldn't do it. Ah, that's fair. It is. It's nice to. It's nice to start out at a point where like drinking is fun and drinking is a game. But uh, I think to all of us sitting here now, it's a very serious hobby of ours, right? Like it's 
don't know. I think that's it's a beautiful well, narrative. Well, so if you if you listen to our New Year's episode, uh, you hear uh, me specifically and a little bit Jason talking about how it's been a challenge for us because. Um, I'm a very health-minded person. I lost 100 pounds, and then when I started this podcast, I've gained like 10 pounds back. And I have to like, I was like, man, I got to stop drinking all this beer because I can't, I can't just let this happen. I work so hard. So, like, have you guys, like, how do you guys feel about like how much beer you drink in relation to how much you brew? And and you know, you guys what have do you a wonderful, do with all the beer. You guys have an awesome cellar. Like, yeah, how do you get rid of beer? How do you manage the health aspect of being a brewer and also trying to like be awesome? Yeah, no, it is. It's definitely tough. We like to give our beer. I'll give. We'll give our beer out to whoever um, <laughs> to try. To it. Well, it depends on how good the beer is. I think there are definitely beers <laughs> that we said like you know we can. I, I would not give. I would give this beer to a Bud Light drinker. I would not give it to somebody who genuinely is interested in craft beer and homebrewing. Yeah, that you know, astringent like, porter that I brewed, I took it to a Christmas party, and some chick was like, oh, man, this is the greatest. And I was like, you can have all of it. <laughs> if you like it, it's not a good beer. You should take it all. <laughs> Palette's a relative. If she loves it, she loves it. Yeah, there, there's no way she thought that was good. She's just pumping your tires. Yeah, but she also took it off my hands, so I'm good to go. <laughs> Oh, I got a ton of it. Do you want it? Now she's got to commit because she loves it. She wants. She said she loves it, so she took. She took them all home. Even though, you know, I think some people just don't have a have a a discernment. Like I think some people's palates aren't adjusted, and some people's palates are less sensitive. Like if you're not as sensitive to that astringent flavor, it it probably wasn't that bad of a beer. But if I feel like of the beer flaws, I'm super sensitive to astringency. If there's astringency in a beer, I basically can't drink it. Yeah, and I, yeah, that's fair. And I think, you know, my wife is very, like, her taste buds are extremely sensitive. So she doesn't like a lot of the beers we brew. But she loved, we did a smash with Laurel Hops that she was all about. I mean, she, she cleaned the keg off. I mean, she was all about it. Now, we did a smash with Sabro, and she could give a shit. She couldn't stand it. Like, she didn't like it. So it just goes to show you, you know, for somebody like her, who isn't a craft beer drinker, is a beer drinker though she would drink Bud Light, right? Um, but she's not a craft beer drinker, and so when I go take her to breweries, so she'll drink some of the beer. But she's, you know, it goes to show you the difference in hops. It's the same. It was the same mm-hmm. yeast, same malt, just in the hops where they were put down at at the same points in the boil right. and dry hop. It's just that hop she didn't like. So when you guys are rocking these smash beers, this, this is an, are you guys using the same malt every time? Or are you guys trying to match the malts with the, the hops to kind of get some sort of like reasonable flavor profile? We just started probably about six months ago buying, uh, you know, malt in, in bulk. Um, right. There was a local maltist here that uh, I think we got like a malt of the month club. So we got like a 50-pound bag of two-row from them. So we were sort of using that a little bit. But, yeah, no, it's usually a different hop. And maybe a different yeast is is what really what we're trying to do. Okay, but it's honestly it's mostly two row, right? So actually all two row. Well, yeah. two row is super easy to brew with. I mean, because you know you get the high conversion, uh, the right kind of enzymes are in there. You're not fucking around with, yeah, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And to that point, you know, with the two row, it's fascinating. You know, we had the locally sourced two row that we had for the first two smashes. We brewed two more with Great Western. Great Western is far less sweet. Than the, than the locally sourced two row. And that's one of the great aspects about smash beers that you can kind of break that down. Plus, and, uh, it's a, the locally sourced was a little darker. I'd say it was like one point on the SRM. Oh, wow. It was definitely noticeably darker. So darker in the carboy, not necessarily noticeably darker. In the glass. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, the carboy is always going to give you like a, a a bigger effect. The glass is always going to be a lot more a more mild in terms of the effect. So you mentioned the the sweetness of those malts. Uh, what do you guys do? Uh, and we'll try to we'll try to work away from the technical stuff. We've had a lot of technical conversations, which are fun and awesome. Bunch but, of goddamn nerds. <laughs> uh, uh, but so, um, what do you guys do? I know you guys have a robo brew, but then you also have coolers that you brew out of. Hold so, on, for what? the listeners at home. What the fuck is a robo brew? They know. Are they gonna? Are you gonna put it and check the show? It's, check the show. It's, it's not a robot brew. or a brew. It's in fact that's kind of a robot. It does recirculate things. Ah, automatically, right? Yeah. Okay, but uh, your question. Sorry. So no. Um. Um. For for temperature control, are you guys? Uh, you guys are in New England. It's cold. You got those coolers. Uh, are you? You, you find that you can control pails. the temperature of mash to get to get the right sort of dryness, or are you guys doing other? Are you adding hot water throughout your mash, or, or how does that work? 
So I think with the cooler system in cold, you know, New England winters, we don't utilize the cooler system. We right. utilize it. So I think, you know, it's much easier to brew in the house temperature controlled with the robo brew. So we don't, you know, we don't really do anything with the cooler is going to be outside with propane, you know, and, and that kind of setup. So it's, which is in nice weather. So we really don't utilize anything to hold temperature when we're brewing outside. You know, it's usually because it's hot enough that the cooler is going to get the trick done. We'll, we'll drape some towels over it, but really, you know, we don't really, so I brewed, we did a brown ale, an apple cinnamon brown ale for this, this fall, which really, in my opinion, came out phenomenal. And so I reached 79% efficiency. You know, it was an amazing brew day, but I did that outside. It was cold and rainy, you know, and I did that in my cooler system because I knew I'd get good efficiency. And I really just draped towels over it. And again, you know, it was probably, you know, 45, 50 degrees, which for the fall here is actually on the warmer side. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, and I reached 79% efficiency, no problem. So sweet. Uh, it's just the cooler setup we have. Yeah. In the Robo Brew, obviously, you know, it's more with the recirculation arm, as you mentioned a couple minutes ago. It's, it's, you're definitely going to get in theory, a higher efficiency when you're recirculating. The, the, the well, and you're going to be able to dial in the dryness or sweetness of the beer because you're going to yeah. be able to keep that consistent temperature. How, what, what's your temperature variation in the cooler? We're, we're about to get Jason and I are about to get a cooler system, so I'm excited Wait, to learn. Buy a cooler? Do you mean we're about to buy a cooler? We're going to buy two coolers, Jason. Are we? We sound like such an old married couple. I'm going to actually buy the coolers. You it sounds like an important purchase for the two of you. Yeah, it's an important. <laughs> it is. It, it will be. We'll make some dank beers, but sometimes we talk on this podcast, and I feel like Aaron and I are married. the the homebrew shop has special financing for it. <laughs> we're not we're not we're not gonna use it <laughs> anyway what was what was the question that happened no we talked about temperature control uh, that, that did happen i remember yeah. and then we reached a point where you and i were married and we had three kids that is on a farm and we made them brew all the beer for us so uh let's talk a little bit about uh exit 12 brewery so you guys are you are home brewers your brand is exit 12 a brewery branded home brewery I, I, first of all i think on the one hand, you guys talked about before we came on the air about how it's funny because everyone asks you like where you are and you have to be like at home and they're like, can I come to your tap room? And you're like, it's in the basement um, uh, and I can't charge you for the beer. So why wouldn't everyone want to go to that? Um, can you talk about kind of the, the motivation for branding yourself as Exit 12 Brewery and kind of like the positives and negatives of that? Yeah, I mean, honestly – it's kind of, it's fun to make labels, man. It is. It's fun to make a label and you need to put something on that label. That's besides what the name of your beer is fun to name beers too. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was just a, you know, a fun little thing to, to name it. And then we came up with a little logo. Uh, in hindsight, we probably would have named it something homebrew. So we don't have to deal with those questions, but uh, yeah, it definitely was something that was not all the ways. Thought uh, out through, definitely not. Yeah, whatever. It's fun, man. So, <laughs> so one would assume that that you might have some aspirations of becoming a brewery, and then you already have that name, and you you have uh, a few hundred followers on Twitter, so you have like at least a baseline to start. Like, is that something that's in your all's future? No. <laughs> so that's the thing is, you know, not you know, not to uh, uh, kind of be a Debbie Downer in a way, but like, yeah, we have zero. I mean, you know, I really enjoy the hobby and I really enjoy brew tubing and I really enjoy meeting new people. And yeah. To be honest with you, if somebody came to me and said, listen, I have the capital to raise, I'll give you a stake. It doesn't need, it definitely won't be called Exit 12 Brewery, but I want you to come along and, you know, be a head brewer. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely very attractive to me, but, you know, I'm, you know, a, a newly married, you know, uh, we congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's been a little over Jeez. a year, so not necessarily. Well, new. then I'm so sorry for your loss. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, still congratulations. No, I appreciate. It. Yeah, and we, you know, we bought the home and things like that. So, like, there's, you know, a lot of moving parts, and I think a lot of people have asked, like, if we kind of are interested, they'll try the beer and kind of ask if we're interested in, in going pro, and it's just probably, you know, not the most sound financial decision right now. But right. you know, maybe in the line, it's just right now, I think we, and I probably didn't speak in for Brandon, but we really enjoy the hobby. Yeah. Nice. So I feel like, it, you know, maybe it's just here. A lot of places you see two or three popping up in, you know, town each time. Yeah. And honestly, if we're going to do it, if we would, everyone would love to brew for a living. Like, it's fun. Yeah. We'd love to wake up and be able to brew and make a living out of it. 
but we'd have to be really fucking good to even think of doing something. right because you don't you don't you don't want to come out there and and be putting you know shit beer out there because I, I feel like right now the the beer markets are good enough to where if you make good beer you can basically do it anywhere still it's not flooded but if you make shit beer uh it, it's a dangerous spot so but you also mentioned brew tubing which i think is a, a pretty fantastic and interesting thing that i'm not actually that familiar with so we are going to talk about that after the break Welcome back to Plato's Gravity. Uh, this is uh, this is uh, good stuff. So, uh, so you guys talked about before the break. You talked about brew tubing. So, uh, tell me a little bit about brew tubing. Yeah. So, um, it's basically uh, there's a you know a group of guys that get together and sort of review their homebrew uh, on YouTube. Okay. YouTube um, and sort of you know uh, chronicle their their brew days as well. And they and you know we actually got into it from uh, we had a the same night I was talking the weekend in Vermont mm-hmm. the end of that was sort of a YouTube rabbit hole that led us to Clement Homebrew who is a brew tuber who okay. is fantastic so we sort of you know started watching his videos and then sort of his buddies and we sort of got into the same brew tubing network. Um, but yeah, it's a nice little fun thing. It, I I like it because you know it sort of chronicles other people's brew days. You can sort of visually see their process, uh, and then they sort of talk about it. All right, sweet. So so you guys are also brew tubing actively though too. So you guys are contributing to this community. Yeah, we just started brew tubing about three to six months ago. Um, you know, we we started out um, reviewing beers in a in an experiment as basically the brew tubers. If, if I don't know if Brandon meant it. it's a it's an online homebrewers club. So it's mm. basically your homebrewers club, but on the computer. Right. So um, you know, and it's there's like a couple hundred of us, and there could be up to thousands. There's people that that brew tube, but they're not necessarily in brew tubers. Mm. Right. Thing. So you guys so, have like dues and shit? No, no, there's no dues or anything. Um, start collecting dues. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 yeah, you thought of it. So. <laughs> right here, right here on Plato's Gravity. Brew tuber dues. All right. <laughs> I think those are paying for, paying for CBS for the core members for years to come. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so I, I forgot what the original question was. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was just asking, so, so what do you? So uh, what? Do, what do you guys? What, what's your specific? Like, if I go and I watch your BrewTube channel, what am I looking at? So, oh, so a lot of a lot of the brew tubing, um, you know, there's like 15 to 25 minute brew days. So they kind of go through not only their brewing process, but also tips and tricks, you know, things to do to either cut time out or new things that they're doing. So it's basically it's kind of like a Netflix show. If you follow these guys, like, for example, he mentioned Clements Homebrew. There's a guy named Kevin Clements. He brews with, sometimes alone with his son. But we've watched. He's got over, you know, 300 videos or 500 videos. A lot of them are, you know, beer reviews, but he's got, you know, brew days. And so you follow these people. And, you know, at first when we watched him, we were like, this guy's amazing. Like he's, he was kind of funny. We were kind of laughing, you know, because he's so excited about homebrewing. And he, you know, we followed him from the beginning. So we started homebrewing, you know, and he talks about his family and things he did over the weekend. And it kind of turns into like a... Um, a piece like an about me piece, you know, like yeah. a slice of life, you know? Right. And so like you kind of, you gain like this emotional connection with these people, you know? And so eventually what it turned into for us was, well, let's do this as well. And let's right. meet these people. And these guys are kind of characters and let's, let's meet them and see like what they're all about. And cause we've learned so much about them. I know about their families. I know about the, the hikes that they go on. I know about the breweries they visit. I know about new kids that they're having cause they're, documenting all of it on video you know right. so you kind of feel like you know more about these people than you know about your own friends you know and, and it's one of those things like they were very welcoming to us and, and so we started brew tubing and basically what that was a long answer but basically what you'll find on our video is like brew day videos um i did a couple with the robo brew and then you'll find our you know beer reviews of like uh reviewing home brews uh, we're not sure if we kind of want to go into the realm of re- reviewing you know micro breweries and things sure. like that know if we want to get there but you know it's kind of tough to if we don't like a beer to say we don't like it on video we certainly don't want to alienate anyone we're in this for the hobby we're not Mm. in this to kind of 
hurt feelings or, or whatever the case may be, piss people off. Which so. I should still throw out there that the there's a standing invitation for the head brewer at uh, Fountain Square Brewery to arm wrestle me. Damn it, Jason. <laughs> if you're listening, and if you're not listening, eat shit. But if you are listening, I'll, I'll arm wrestle you, and also I love you. Jason, we average 163 downloads a week. I think that he is not listening. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll see. There's, there's going to be a challenger for you at some point. Yeah, that is awesome. So um, I, I think for, for homebrewers, like, uh, educate because you guys uh, mentioned before the show that you guys are basically, like, super nerdy about the process, and you like knowing the science behind the process, which is fantastic. So uh, brew, BrewTube seems to be a big source of information for you guys, but how do you, how do you guys, uh, either through BrewTube or aside from BrewTube, how do you guys learn about uh, homebrewing? Yeah, so uh, a lot of online research. Uh, this guy loves Scott Janish. Scott, Scott Janish. Uh, he's got an excellent blog. Excellent blog. Uh, honestly, um, the thing that I – their beers – so I joined. He, he's been doing it for three, four years. I've been doing it for two. Uh, the thing that I knew I could bring is I I like the water aspect of beers. I think it, it, it adds a lot to the beer. So yeah. I did a extensive research on – you know, water profiles, mash pHs, and things of that nature. And the second we started doing some of those things, we saw a noticeable uptick in the quality of our beer. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you guys blew in New England IPAs. Correct, yeah. And that's really why we wanted to do it. You want to brew a good New England IPA, you need to have, you know, your chloride to sulfate ratio needs to be on point. So are you guys starting with RO water and building up, or do you guys have water that you can uh, use? So right now, we, we actually just buy dis- – the easiest thing we found is buying distilled water, sure. which has nothing, and then building the profile from there. Nice, nice. Yeah, so between the water, you know, in terms of buying distilled water yeah. and purchasing robo-brews, things like that, we just purchased a mash and boil that we utilize right now just to heat sparge water. We're certainly not in this to save money. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, know, you know, I think – we're in this to brew great beer and, and to kind of share it with people. We're kind of all about the idea that, you know, brewing great beer and, and showing it to people and, and bringing them together, bringing people together, it just creates all of that together creates an amazing, you know, it makes memories. And so we're all about that. Yeah. So any of that research is a rabbit hole. I mean, anything you do, you can spend days on. And the best thing about it was that, you know, if I got really on a kick of like mash pH or something like that, he would research as well, and we'd have a couple of days where, like, we text all day about just dumb shit, match pH, or <laughs> you know, uh, you know, fermentation temperature or something. You know what I mean? And we would just spend literal days, like, when should we dry hop? You know, and all these things. And it's just you get on these things, and having somebody there that's just as excited about it has made this process a lot better. It's a great point. I mean, I, I think I really identify with what you guys talk about in terms of why I brew. I think sharing beer with other people is like super important to this process and super fun. Like my favorite thing is to give a beer I'm proud of to somebody else. So can you talk about how that, uh, that community building or that community creation in home brewing has, has, uh, has affected you guys? Yeah, it's definitely affected us quite a bit. I mean, even giving it to people, they understand it, it seems as though even the Bud Light drinkers – um, which fascinatingly enough, we tend to give our beers more to the Bud Light drinker than to the uh, uh, craft. Well, beer I think drink- they need it. It's called ev- <laughs> that's called evangelization. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, you know, I think those are the people that ask for the beers the most for some reason. So you know, I had a guy I work with. I gave a couple of our beers to that. You know, I gave him uh, our cranberry pale ale, um, and I gave him. Uh, our um, pumpkin stout. So he came back with like notes. He gave it to his mother, his father and his brother. And they all took notes on the color, on the smell and on the taste. That's awesome. That That is awesome. Now with that said, a lot of them are light drinkers. Now, but what he, it was, it was very special to me. It was really cool that he did that. You know, he took the time to, to, kind of write out notes of what everybody was saying like I took the time to brew the beer so yeah. even though he's a Bud Light drinker and even though I may or may not have agreed with what he was saying it was just all about input and it was all about that moment with him and kind of sharing that and how cool that was for him to do. 
Yeah. So beer is a real communal thing. I think that's why we all like to do it. Uh, it brings us into, you know, it, the craft beer community for, for, for the most part is a very good tight knit community. We sort of look out for each other. Right. Except we're in a, you know, rare release line, apparently. <laughs> you know, super cool. Um, but yeah, it's like a communal thing, and it, there's nothing better than to give somebody a beer that you really put some time and effort into, and sort of seeing, you know, a good reaction out of it. Yeah, that's that that's fantastic. So, um, you t- you talked about standing in line for beers just a moment ago. So let's let's transition. So you guys are in New England, and um, our our listeners who have listened to us from the beginning know that at the beginning of the show we kind of railed on that style. And it then, was every well. It still is everywhere. It was Jason's fault because I was basically I'm a amb- goddamn hipster. And I was, it was all over the place. I was ambivalent to the style, and then Jason was against it. So I our wasn't show- against it. It was just all over the goddamn place. And I thought that the regular, I thought the West Coast IPAs were fine, but I love them both now, and they're just separate. I actually things. don't. I I have had like maybe ten New England IPAs because there's not there's not like in Indiana. It's hard to find fresh ones. So I don't drink them a lot because if you don't drink them fresh, they're allegedly not that good. Um, I've had two amazing ones that I would drink over and over again, and I thought, man, if this is what the style can be, fuck yeah. And then I've had eight where I was like, oh, this chain, this tastes like orange juice and greens. What because, is the? What are the two? What? What are the two? Oh, I'm not that fucking. Damn it, Jason! Uh, like it, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> Like I'm not that good at. at That's I'm, fair. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say probably the brew dog. Well, we had uh, well the brew dog was okay. The hazy uh, okay. Jane. Okay. The brew dog was okay, and then we also had I think the other one was uh, we had one from Hot Pans on the show, uh, and it was it was pretty wait, good. Tired hands. Yeah, tired hands. It okay. was uh, it was hot pans. It was from a can. It was a uh, sticker beer, and it was it was really good, but it wasn't uh, uh, it wasn't fresh enough. Like 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 uh, the guy who brought that on the show, it was a little bit old, but it was still pretty good. But you got a little vegetalness out of that one, even as well. And that's kind of the issue I have with them is when when by the time we get to drink them, a lot of times, in addition to that orange juice flavor, you also get the greens of the hops in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, as brewers, homebrewers from New England, we're mm. going to have to change that. Yeah. Right. So we're going to send you guys some fresh, true New England IPAs from kind of the region that made them famous so what what so so we talked a little bit over the break what what kind of makes you passionate like what was the first new england ipa that you drank that was like man fuck yeah the first new england ipa yeah We're, the, the, not the first one but the one that was like you know what this is fucking amazing i have to make one of these bearing in mind that i'm a diehard sierra nevada pale fan well, I'm, a, why, I'm a west why, coast why does that matter i'm a west coast fanboy. stone i love all of them uh, four point five trillion is the one that we were like. This is style. This is something that's going to stay. Say that again. Four point. Four point from trillion. Oh right, uh, trillion. Which is a pale ale, but New England style. Correct, mm. correct. It is a pale ale. Um, and then sort of uh, the other one that I distinctly remember that I was like, this is insane. Is Julius by Treehouse. Those are the two that when we. I'll say me. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, those are the two where I was like, okay, this is something that's here to stay. This is not a fad. Is a lot of people. And again, if you're not from a region where you can get this style fresh, there is no way that you could have any opinion but the one you have because if they're not fresh, it is a very, it is like a delicate flower. These beers, right? And if you have them at the right time, um, they are not what they should be. So, right. You know, I think, you know, I, to his point, I think the, the four point pale ale was really the first one. And I ha- and I went to Trillium, which which at the time was based mm-hmm. in Boston, um, like in the city. They had one location. It was the size of a shoebox. And I and I went there on a beer trade and I was like, yeah, you know, let me grab some some stuff. And at the time they were only serving in bomber bottles. And basically four point uh, was Citra and Columbus hops. And that to me um it was a six six and a half about percent pale ale. It was as just like you'd expect a New England IPA to look. And at the time, I didn't know what the style was. I was barely into craft beer. And when you know, you took a sip, and it was just a rainbow of amazing flavors. And so that to me, the four point pale ale. And he was there. That's why he mentions it as well. I think for both of us, we kind of looked at each other like, "Holy shit! Like this is beyond anything we've ever had." And then with the four point. 
months later came the alchemist, you know, Hetty Topper and things like that. From that, from the first sip of the four point, we wanted to, to definitely, and this was before the idea of the New England IPA really blew up. Right. And it's funny because if you look at the, the, the breweries that made them famous, they do not call it, I, I don't think there's one of them that calls it a new It's an American IPA or just a double, single pale ale. There is no real, never says New England IPA because it hasn't, it, it's only a style within the last BGCP is. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, the, the, craft beer, the, craft, the craft beer naming convention added it before the BJCP added it. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, there were breweries that weren't known for it, especially outside of Vermont and Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Maine. That kind of they put New England IPA on the label to get that market segment, but right. for the the breweries here that do it, that's just to them a double IPA, uh, an American IPA. So, right. So, um, so you guys are, are super into the beer, the beer trading, the, the beer trading gig. So, uh, yeah, yeah you are. Yeah, yeah. Brent, uh, it's taking the beer and drinking it. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll I'll have like a, a brew. I'll have a night and have people over, and I'll you know split the beers that I get. So, how does living in uh, in in Massachusetts in that area kind of affect your ability to trade beer? As opposed, to, like if I'm in Indiana, like I got to drive to Three Floyds to get beer that's tradable. I think that's a very yeah. long drive. <laughs> yeah, so I think, and you know what? To that point, uh, Three Floyds, their zombie dust when I first had it about two and a half years ago was like out of this world. Yeah, yeah. Out of, amazing. And then you go through years of having these New England IPAs, and then you have the zombie dust again. I. The second time I had zombie dust was in Germany, believe it or not. Interesting. Um, How did zombie dust get to Germany? So it was at a beer bar in Munich, Germany, and the owner of Three Floyds was great friends with the owner of the beer bar in Germany. And that's how I asked the waiter, and he told me that's how they got the the um, the, the zombie dust. What a charming but, story. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, no, no. How, how was it? Like it makes me it makes me feel good that like I don't know people are friends I I don't know I'm an emotional person it's fine how was it the second time I mean it was amazing but it, you're also you know I think it was different it, it I'm not gonna say it wasn't as good because you know I don't know that you know I think you know it was different because you're also talking about a year and a half from the first time I had it to when I went to Germany and in that time I had found Trillium's Four Point and that just opened up the floodgates for other New England IPAs. Which three Floyds zombie dust is not that, but it right. just that was kind of like in my wheelhouse. I think you know the first time you had any have anything, it's like amazing. Well, yeah. there's like a weird thing in general with zombie dust in particular. Like around here, it used to be because we're I don't know four hours away from three Floyds, three and a half hours ish. Um, but they never released it outside of the brewery, except for a couple cases they would ship out. Every year to like random liquor stores, you had to be lucky. You had to know where to get it. Now it's fairly widely available. And I don't know if like I'm actually less likely to buy it now because it's widely available and it's the same beer. Does well, that, that's a, yeah. well, no, does, I mean, does that make me a shitty person? Yes. <laughs> well, that's fair. In a lot. Well, he's not. Brandon is no no well Brandon's very and I wish I was like Brandon. Brandon is very <laughs> in this aspect. Brandon could go to the he could get three he could Just get zombie same. dust every time. No, I think it's amazing, and I think I'm um, you know I'm I'm like you. Yeah, he's a beer snob. He's a jaded it's, beer. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. I I, I can be. I, I don't like to call it snobs. I like to call it a beverage elite. I like to call myself a beverage elitist. But there's still like there's a there's an IPA that I mention on the show a lot. Elitist, not snob. I like to pretend. Uh, I like to use the more polite word for snob. For snob, elitist. Yeah. Um. I, there's a beer in Indiana. Uh, the Daredevil makes called. It's just lift off IPA. It's fuck. It's it's a West Coast it's IPA. Fuck. It's it is fuck. fuck. It's fucking amazing. It's. Good. I could literally. No, it's good. If I had to drink one beer for the mess for the rest of my life, I would drink that beer. But I still like drinking all of the other beer. I'd be sad if I had to drink only that beer. But it's still pretty good. So the funny thing about beer is there's probably beers that are, that are probably made better, taste better. A lot of it's like the experience. Yeah. If I'm at a certain point, you know, I had, you know, I'm with, you know, my buddies and I had this beer, I'm going to rate it a few points higher than maybe even the beer is worth. And I've had that happen to me sometimes. I'll say this beer is the best beer I've ever tasted. And I'll have it again. I'll be like, it's a good beer. Well, what's the difference? I was just, the moment I was at, so that's very tough with like 
untapped and things like that or rating beers. I don't rank the beers on untapped. I just write my tasting notes and leave them unstarred. Oh, interesting. I mean, I think that that plays into like why I'm less likely to buy zombie dust is because the experience is changed now. The flavor is 100% the same ish probably i don't know they, they might have i don't know what they do it. say. The three whatever three floyd's re-release pride and joy do it i dare you oh, Jason i some fucking i will arm wrestle you until you do it that's you can't just keep arm wrestling you know what i think we're getting a little off the rails three floyd's is awesome and arm wrestling them is not an option but it does seem like a great time for jason uh to do my favorite segment of the show which is when he asks you guys a question that has nothing to do with beer called jason's off the wall question yeah, so uh, Aaron just explained what this is, right? So I just asked you a dumb question. Are you guys ready? No, it, it doesn't have to be dumb. It could be a smart question. It could be a very smart question. I don't, on occasion, I am a smart person. Um, it has to be off the wall. Yeah, it has to be off the wall. So um, when Theseus took rule of uh, Athens... Actually, no, this is actually a really interesting question. So uh, at one point in Theseus's travels, he has to go to hell, right? Um, Theseus is who? Theseus is the uh, uh, prince king of Athens. Uh, he fights. He's actually the guy that kills the Minotaur, and he goes to hell. He goes to well, he goes to Hades. It's not called hell. I'm sorry, Jesus. You said well, not first. Jesus. This is before Jesus. Damn it. <laughs> so so uh, so he goes to hell, and he sits on this seat, and it's it's a cursed seat, and he cannot stand up from it. Um. And he's just there for, like, a long time, just undying, because he's already in the world of the undead. How do you think this story resolves? End this story for me, and then I'll tell you the end of the story. So is this in the Odyssey? No, this is uh, a different... Uh, this is outside of the Odyssey. Because all I know is the Odyssey, so this is, this is we, not going to help me. So just make shit yeah. up. He wants you... Yeah, so so hold on. Let, let's recap the question. He's in a seat. He's stuck. He's a, he's a prince king. He goes to hell. He gets stuck in a chair. How does he get out? How does he get out? By having an exit 12 beer. Hey! hey. By having an exit 12 beer. Yes. Yes. That's actually what they said in the um, in the whatever. I don't remember where this was written down. No. <laughs> All right. That was a, that was a great guess, uh, Nick. Uh, Brandon? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'll be going to say exit 12 beer, too. Oh, so exit 12 beers around. So, so it gets uh, lit. Off of I, I want to remind uh, Nick and Brandon from Exit 12 Brewery that this is a story about ancient Greece. <laughs> he you know, know us. You just, you just. Do you guys have a TARDIS? <laughs> At- could have named Exit 12. Maybe it's got some weird uh, there mythical. Were, there were exits in, in old. There, yes, were, there, there were, were 12 of them. Uh, one so of hold them on, hold off on. Of I, think, I think this really came into a new place. Are, are, are you guys claiming Exit 12 Brewery as the reclamation of an ancient Grecian brewing province? We're not saying that, but we're not not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jason, how does the story really end? You've really taken us. This off-the-wall question has, has lived up to its name. The actual story ends with Hercules, the man, Heracles, technically, if you're going with the Greek. Heracles goes down to Hades and in the process of, I believe, trying to find... No, I might be crossing over the Sam Raimi tv show anyway he's in hades and he comes across this chair with theseus the prince king of athens and he pulls really hard on theseus theseus's arm it's a very difficult word to say name theseus. to say he gives a good old tug on theseus and pulls him up but doesn't pull all of him up theseus's ass is left stuck in the chair for eternity and theseus himself henceforth has no ass um so he urinates hard, Why ma- would hard he? matter? Wait, what? How does he get rid oh. of his fecal matter? Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's still a hole there. He just has no cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> is this kind of where diarrhea originated? Is this kind of the way of saying this is what happens when you get diarrhea? This is what happens. <laughs> well, I, you know, be- I, so your guys' answer actually dovetails with this nicely because beer, uh, if you're in a poor state of health, gives one uh, loose stool. So maybe having a flat 12 beer is it's just the same. I'm sorry that beer. I. It's not a flat 12 oh, beer. Oh, shit. All right. Maybe it's, having an exit 12 beer is... How dare you? There's a brewery in Indiana called Flat 12. And Which also I, doesn't give you... No brewery that we will talk about will give you diarrhea unless you drink... 
an beer that I amount. make. If if Jason if Jason personally makes you a beer, it might give you diarrhea. It might also give you uh, Sean, the re- removal of an ass. Sean Lewis, if you're listening, I apologize. Uh, Wait, why would you apologize, Sean Lewis? If you're listening, I'm I, still gonna arm wrestle you. No, Sean. Sean, and they came on the show. I know. I'm gonna arm wrestle them. Um, okay, that's 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 super fun. So let's uh, let, let's rock on to the listener question. So I have a, a, a buddy of mine from college uh, has submitted a listener question. Brian, uh, Brian, it's actually his second time uh, having a question on the show, uh, and it, I like this question because hi, it, Brian. It gives us a chance to be super beer uh, nerds, and I, as I mentioned, beer elitist, not beer snobs. Uh, so he recently got a beer that he was really <laughs> excited about, and. He opened it up and it was shit. Um, I won't say the name of the brewery because I don't want to throw them under the bus. But there was some flaw. But what in was it? It, it was a, it was a can or a bottle of beer, and my phone is in the other room, so I actually I don't know. Was it a crowler? Like, it was. What did, what what, did you it open? was. No, it was a. It was a. It was a bottle of beer. And, okay. but, he, but what he wanted to know is, in terms of having the optimal quality of beer, what's the best way to consume beer? So I gave him an answer, but I want to check with you guys. So like, if you guys are gonna, if you guys have your druthers, let's rank. Like the ways of consuming beer from top to bottom, so uh, like for example, I start. I said, I said, actually, if you're the dude in the, in the Greek myth, you can't do that anymore. That's true. No beer enemas. No. Uh, <laughs> so, for example, just to get like cans, crowlers, growlers, all these things are acceptable. Draft beer, whatever. So, mm. uh, I'll ask this to our our guests from Exit Twelve Brewery. What uh, can you give us a hierarchy of beer? serving styles sure yeah i think uh i guess i'll go first uh i go one draft two can three bottle well no three uh growler and then four probably bottle all right and then five is obviously the fucking stupid crowler birnama why would you put crowler why would you even have a crowler i don't know why breweries do that if you have crowlers i'm sorry Uh, so i our fake brewery that we sort of have, and now, now you're insulting. Do you guys have a crowler? <laughs> we do not have a crowler. We do not have a crowler. No. If you guys can make crowlers, so so if home brewers can make crowlers, that's fucking different. That's amazing. That's expensive as shit. You shouldn't. But no, in my opinion, oxygen gets in crowlers way too much, and then people think because it looks like a, a sealed can that you can yeah. keep it as long as you can keep a can, but you can't because they got oxygen in there, and you need to drink that shit in two days, just like a growler. So I hate the crowler. Uh, the only so you guys nailed it. Uh, the only difference, of course, if I'm right, and I think I am, the only difference I had is I made a, an extra layer of distinction between draft. I said draft at the brewery where it was brewed. God damn it! I was going to say that. Second is draft at a bar because typically it's going to be fresher yeah. if you get it if you get it right from the the brewery. At a bar, you don't know how they're treating their beer lines. You don't know how they're treating the beer that's that they're serving. I actually think that's one of the worst ways to get it. Because, yeah. Um, so you you would go draft at the brewery one, and then probably can two, bottle three, yeah, and then go can one, um, draft at the brewery two. Okay. Bottle three, um, and, and personally, I mean, the crowler to me, it's like a crime for you, and I get that. But I think for I think for like microbreweries and stuff, I think what it is is they're trying to maximize profits. Sure, because they sell it over the bar, they get more volume out. Absolutely. I personally haven't had a crowler. We we talked about kind of. I think it was off air. We talked about that you were basically people have different. They're they're sensitive to different you know off flavors. Right. I, I don't get. It's tough for me to get the oxidized flavor. You know, so I think I've never had a crowler that was oxidized. But I understand the the kind of. But with that said, as home brewers, we've bottled off of a bottling bucket. It's just right. sitting. In- yeah, I mean, we only do that with our dark beers, but we've never had one that we that we felt like was oxidized. I have a yep. porter for you. <laughs> it's oxidized. Yep. Um, it no, was, and I I would probably also go on to say if you're getting a growler, uh, there are two different caps, and the um, oh the cap the the long lasting pressured cap does tend to at least in my experience has done better. Well, I mean, for just, me. but just I don't the whole the If you term. buy a growler or crowler, please drink it in one or two days. And yeah. then everything is fine. Everything is fine. There, there is a cap that you can get on your growler that does make it last longer. And I think that honestly, I've let it go a few days and it's been fine. But I've also had the regular normal. Was saying there's something called a swing top. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Has that like O ring type deal in it? So it does. It would. It would seal. 
Right, but, it, but really, like, even if, if you're going to go swing top and you're sensitive to oxidation, as am I, you really need to have the brewery hit that with CO2 before they close it. They're get all the oxygen out of the top because, you know, there could be oxygen just in a little bit. We're hoping that. So, I mean, there, there's a beer uh, called uh, Good Morning from Treehouse. Very, very rare. They haven't mm. brewed it in years. And uh, the last time they brewed it was probably about three years ago, four years ago. And they had it uh, in growlers. And so they were serving it in growlers. And there are still people that either sell the growler or they'll drink it or they'll oh. trade it. And it's been sitting. But – with that said, it's a swing top growler. They pressurize it, hit it with CO2 before they fill it. And because of that swing top, that thing stays for as fresh as the day they got it. Nice. And I, there hasn't been anybody that's complained about oxidation or anything. When we growl our beer, right right now we have the Blickman beer gun, which we love. Right. Uh, we around to Blickman! He's so from Indiana. <laughs> Blickman's from Indiana. Nice. But, I mean, really what we, you know, in terms of growling beer, for a while we fill it right from the tap. And like you said, right from the tap, you're not pressurizing it. Right. You're just. Uh-huh. I would lose carbonation just driving 45 minutes to my buddy's house. Right. So I think the pressurizing is is the biggest. Well, uh, and w- one of the things, so the beer gun, uh, we talked a lot about. We talked about this on the show a little bit in the past. The beer gun, the Blickman beer gun, is great at avoiding oxygenation because you can purge you can purge the the vessel. Um, however, it's not good at preserving. You actually lose carbonation in in the process of beer gunning. So I have some friends who kind of turned me on to just a couple days before you're going to beer gun, you just notch up the, uh, notch up the regulator a little bit. So you over carbonate by like, you know, 0.2 or three PSI. So when you bottle you're you're at to that level and you got to kind of dial it in. But, uh, we use a counter, a counter pressure bottle filler, which, uh, doesn't lose CO2 or oxygen or allow oxygen exposure, but it is super finicky, and I definitely spray beer in my face more than I want to while using it. I washed and laughed. Yeah, we had a counter. We had a counterflow chiller. We threw. I ended up throwing out because we tried to use it for months. This was before uh, or right around the time Brandon came along, and we tried to use a counterflow chiller and it, or the counter, counterflow filler or whatever, and it really, it really didn't work. Yeah, well, so ours on, on on the one I bought, I bought it. I got it for seventy bucks on Amazon. The valve, there's supposed to be a valve on there that allows uh, allows you to like equalize the pressure in the bottle and the keg. The valve is broken, uh, so it actually theoretically wouldn't work at all. Except I have got it to work by just putting my thumb on the bung a little bit and then kind of putting my <laughs> no, shut up, Jason. <laughs> But if you if you put your thumb on the bong just enough, you can kind of use the bong as a slight to relieve just enough yeah, pressure. Yeah, you can. And then you can bottle pretty well. But it is a pain in the ass. That's what that's what a lot of like. There's a brewery here called Trillium. You know, yeah. in, their, in their days when it was just one location, they would literally do what you were doing. Yeah. yeah. So they would they would pressurize it. They'd fill it and they'd sit their thumb on the top where the bung was, and they'd release the pressure as the beer was filled yeah otherwise it goes too fast or too slow so i've gotten it to where i can do it pretty good without losing too much beer now but it was it was tricky but then you don't have to worry about over carving before you beer gun it so we are we are coming up on time i want to ask kind of like one final question before we before we close the podcast which is why is aaron not wearing pants that is incorrect i am wearing pants uh which is sort of like uh, wh- why do you guys do this? Like, I, I think you know, be- you talked about not doing it for money. Obviously, home brewing for most folks is not a money. Yeah, saving, why do so- you talk to a pantsless man on the podcast? Why do you brew? Why do you brew? So yeah, I I think um, you know when you get older, you need to <laughs> you you want to have something you can do to you know. I just had a newborn, and you want to have some sort of purpose when you hang out with your friends because you can't just go out and get super drunk with your friends anymore right and right if i am brewing my own beer it's a hobby uh and i can do it but no the real answer is uh it's a super fun craft and i enjoy um being able to create something something that is very you know um i think okay and that is you know something i put a lot of we put a lot of work into and, and sort of having that finished product and, and also the process all the way along it's it's actually something that is very very fulfilling. Sweet, that's awesome. Yeah, and I and I'd say you know basically you know you, you wake up in the morning. There's an age you get where you start getting heartburn. You know you start your wife starts pissing you off. She's here. You know, <laughs> just you one year a, in. Just one year in. <laughs> you get a written warning at work. You know maybe she cheats on you. Some things happen and you need something to lean on. You All know? right, and that's home brewing. And aside from that, I think. <laughs> I think you know. Put that on a T-shirt. 
So, so where most people drink beer to cope with their stress, you make beer to cope with your stress. That's good. I think, you know, listen, I think it's, it's great for me to meet people. And I think as we just spoke about probably 10 minutes ago, it's community bring, bringing people together. And I think, um, some of the best memories that I've made in my life, uh, I think craft beer w- was related. You know? Right. I think you're able to talk, to talk to people, whether it's about politics or interest, you're able to laugh and, and enjoy each other's company. I think as we get older, it's so tough to meet up with friends and family. And Everybody has their own lives, as Brandon spoke to. They have kids. You get married. You buy a house. Life catches up with you. So, you know, home brewing is great for, for all of that, you know, and, and it's great to have an interest, obviously, but, you know. That, that's pretty much it's just having people around and, and not losing friendships and making new ones and yeah yeah and I think I think the beautiful thing about beer is that it's created connections for centuries. This is what beer is on. Right. It, it gives us a little bit of relaxation. Ever allows since us to be, someone decided to just drink spoiled grain water, it's it's been great. And now we get fantastically tasting spoiled grain water because we learned a whole bunch about how to do it. Oh, so fantastic. good. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning into this episode of Plato's Gravity. I want to thank Nick and Brandon from Exit 12 Brewery for being on the show. If you guys want to connect with uh, Nick and Brandon, you can find them at Exit 12 Brewery on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped. You can find a link to their BrewTube channel in the shows of the show. And I want to thank my cat, Frank, because he was a very soft kitten. And then he started getting really gross as a middle-of-the-road middle, like middle of the road cat. Uh, but then when he reached age, he became a very soft cat again. And thanks, Frank. You're very soft. So thank you. Thank you also to Frank. Uh, if you guys want to reach out to Jason or myself, you can reach us uh, at Plato's Gravity on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Untapped, or you can reach us at www.platosgravity.com. We would love to hear from you. If hear you stick your arm show. out in an arm wrestling fashion, I might just arm wrestle you. Especially if you're from Fountain Square. Uh, so we want to thank you guys again for listening to the show. Uh, we will see you next time. Uh, in the meantime, grab yourself a winter warmer, brew some beer, and have some fun.